Our second lesson is found in the Gospel according to John, verse 13, 18 through 38. I'm reading from the New International Translation. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the scripture, he who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen you will believe that I am he. I tell you the truth, whoever accepts any one I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was deeply troubled and testified. I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another. They were at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. It was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, then God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, Where I am going you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Amen. May God bless to our hearts and understanding of this his word. Many of you will, um, uh, well, I don't know how many of you were here last Sunday, but if you were here last Sunday, you remember that we saw our Lord Jesus Christ in the upper room when he gave the grand demonstration, which really is almost an, a parable acted out, whereby he, the Son of God, laid aside his robes, took upon himself the garments of a slave, and stooped all the way down and began to wash his disciples' feet. This made a tremendous impression upon the Apostle John, the writer of this record of the Gospel. John can recount many vivid details that an eyewitness would have understood that night 
and that he wants us to keep in our minds as we try to come to an understanding of the great events that are about to take place here. He contrasts Jesus' great tenderness and love with the treachery of one of his own, whose name is Judas. It's always difficult for me to preach on Judas. I never like to speak of him. But yet, it's necessary, and it's a part of the Word of God, and I think we can look at him around three ways. We can look at him, first of all, around the word glory. We can look at him around the word greed. And we can look at him around the word guilt. Let me say that there have been a great many writers who have tried to exonerate Judas of guilt. Thomas de Quincey, a brilliant literary man, has tried to make a hero almost out of Judas, and yet you can't do that, not when you stack up what Scripture says. And the fanciful theories that many people have woven around the life of Judas are brought forth at an opportunity to say something new more than they are to say something that's true. If you study scripture carefully, you can see in the beginning when Jesus calls his own unto himself, Judas is called. I like to think of this as Judas is seeing something of the glory of this marvelous person, Jesus of Nazareth. And Judas thinking that maybe he really is the Messiah, and so he is willing to cast his lot in with the other of the disciples and followed Jesus. Judas thinks about this. Judas has a great name. He was named after the one of the most powerful of all of the Jewish figures, Judas Maccabeus, one of the great heroes of Jewish faith who had led a tremendous revolt against oppression of their people. Maybe Judas was thinking that this one Jesus of Nazareth with all of his marvelous gifts who spoke as never a man spoke. Maybe he is the one who will overthrow the yoke of Rome and will usher in a brand new kingdom. And so Judas comes with the others. And he listens to all of Jesus' sermons. He sees all of Jesus' miracles. He goes out with the 70, and he sees healing power manifested in the name of Jesus upon those to whom he had gone, bringing the mercy and the love of Jesus. And so first of all, I think he is attracted to the glory of it all. I do not conceive of Judas as some expositors have, that he is some sort of little mechanical man that is wound up with a key, who walks across the pages of gospel history and then drops off into the pit, is predestined for hell. There is a great mystery here of predestination, and a great mystery here of the foreknowledge of God and the foreknowledge of our Savior. But in the beginning, when Jesus called Judas, I think that Judas must have had a desire to follow after what he saw in Jesus that brought to his mind what the Messianic kingdom would be like. But what happened to him? If you begin to study the Gospel of John, you see that in the sixth chapter of John, Jesus had performed a great miracle. He had fed a, a big multitude of people with those loaves and fishes, and right after this, the crowd came to Jesus and wanted to make him king. 
They wanted to make him king, said Jesus, because their bellies were filled with the bread and the fishes. And Jesus was not establishing a kingdom in this way. Jesus began to say some terrifying words. He began to speak of those who would eat his flesh and drink his blood. This means that we are identifying ourselves into his death. Well, Judas begins to waver, I think, along about this point. Because he is now beginning to see that Jesus is not going to usher in the kind of kingdom that he wanted. And we are told that a great multitude turned back and followed Jesus no more at this point. And you remember Jesus turned to his own, to his apostles, of whom Judas was one, and said, will you also go away? And if you will remember, Peter, the impetuous, impulsive one who always spoke first, Peter speaks up for the group and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe that you are the Son of God. It was a great confession of faith on Peter's part, but I don't think it was really shared by Judas by now. Because Judas is beginning to lose some of the inspiration of the glory of the Messiah when he sees him talking about suffering. This becomes all the more evident when they have gotten into the upper room that night. And you remember, uh, prior to the upper room, I'm sorry, at the, at the supper in Bethany, where Martha and Mary had prepared a supper in the home of Simon, the leper, and Lazarus was a guest. You remember Mary had poured the expensive ointment of spikenard over Jesus' feet. Because in her own sensitive soul, she began to understand what his own followers had not understood. That he was going to the cross and die. And in some mysterious way, that death was in the plan of God for our redemption. Jesus' closest friends could not understand it, but somehow Mary understood it. You remember that as that heavenly fragrance began to manifest itself in the room... And as they smelled that beautiful perfume, all at once an ugly cloud comes into it. Judas murmurs against what Mary has done. And Judas said, why is this waste made? Why was this not sold and given to the poor? And John by this time is telling us again that Judas said this not because he had any concern for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had his hand already in the bag of the treasury, he was pilfering from it. Let me say at this point, there's many a person who needs to examine the pious statement that is made and see whether or not it really rings true. When we talk about missions, are we really willing that our sons or daughters should be missionaries? Are we really, really, really willing to give our gifts to speed them on their way? And if we aren't, then we should not talk beyond our experience. Mary knew that somehow Jesus was going to suffer and that suffering would somehow be in the plan of God and she did what we need to do more. She gave him his flowers 
while he was alive there in that room. And Judas misrepresented it because now greed has already gotten into his mind. Judas has heard many of the wonderful things that Jesus has said. But I wonder why they have not affected him as they affected some of the others. Anton Chekhov, the great Russian playwright, has a story in which he tells of a rich countess in Russia who on one blustery, cold winter day in the city of Moscow had gone into one of the elegant theaters. And she sat there in the theater in her box of royalty and she watched the scene on the stage. And upon the stage there was being portrayed some situation of great poverty and sadness and pathos, a poor family being portrayed on the stage. And the rich countess took her handkerchief and daubed her eyes to wipe away the tears at all of this imagined poverty being portrayed on the stage. While right outside the doors of the theater, her coachman was sitting on the box of her carriage with his hands trembling red and blue from the cold outside. She could be touched by imaginary poverty but not touched to the point to think and to do something. Psychiatrists and psychologists tell us that when we have an impulse towards something that is good and an emotion that wells up within us here, we need to seek some healthy outlet for that emotion to put it to work. Or if we do not, then we become superficial and we operate on feelings. And I think that the church has a great deal of this in it. We can come into a service. We can see Jesus nailed on a cross and the crown of thorns and the blood trickling down his face and matting into his beard. We can see them scowl at him and spit at him. And we can feel greatly moved inside and think what a wonderful sermon, what a great message. Isn't that tremendous? But then we go out of the door when the benediction is said. And we go away to our homes. But do we take in our hearts what it means that that glory should entail suffering? Or do we have only a greedy purpose in mind, just some religious feeling that's there, but not something that's going to alter our behavior? Well, Judas, Judas was a great pragmatist. He, like his kinsmen, often were looking at the price of things. If you study over in the Old Testament, you'll read how Esau sold his birthright to be one of those who would have been in the line of the Messiah. Esau sells his birthright because he comes in from the field famished and he smells the pottage that is being cooked. You remember how Jacob and his mother cleverly play upon his instincts, and beguile away from him his birthright. Well, Judas, Judas is like that. He has greed. Greed and lust are the same thing, and David saw this in his own life. 
when he had gotten to be a great and powerful king, in the time of the year when the kings go forth to battle, King David stayed behind in his capital city. And there, you remember, in the cool of the evening, he walked and saw the lovely Bathsheba and then contrived to take her and sinned against God and sinned against his people. And then how his deception led to further trickery, how he got her husband drunk, and yet her husband still would not go to her. He must have had wind of what had taken place. And then how he goes further into sin. He puts Uriah into the forefront of a battle where he will be killed. The greed and the lust that's there. Nathan the prophet came to him and rebuked him for what he had done. And in sackcloth and ashes that king had to repent. We've been reading in our house this new book, Born Again. The story of the conversion of Charles Colson. And in it you can see the wretched web of Watergate when one tissue of lies after another is being fostered upon people. How they tremble. How he trembles when he takes a lie detector test wondering. Wondering in his own soul whether what he's going to say is really going to be the truth. Is there something really hidden? Greed for power. For lust. For money. They're all there. Well, Judas complained about Mary that night in, in Bethany. And then this night in the upper room, by now he has already covenanted with the chief priest for 30 pieces of silver. The price of a slave. One of the poets has put it this way. But thou improvident Judas... Since thou art resolved to sell a thing whose value is beyond the power of arithmetic art to reckon up, proportionate thy price in some more near degree. Let thy demand make buyers know who this Christ is and understand. What would you ask for Jesus if you were going to sell him? This is what the poet says. Ask all the gold that rolls on India's shores. Ask all the treasures of the eastern sea. Ask all the earth's yet undiscovered ore. Ask all the gems and pearls which purest be. Ask Herod's treasure. Ask the high priest's crown. Ask Caesar's mighty scepter in his throne. Ask all the silver of the glittering stars. Ask all the gold that flames in the moon's eyes. Ask all the jewels of the sun's tears. Ask all the smiles and the beauties of the skies. Ask all that can by anything be given. Ask bliss. Ask life. Ask paradise. Ask heaven. And yet you still have not asked enough for him who is the Prince of Life, the Lord's beloved, and the Savior of the world. Urge Judas no more with sense or reason. Judas resolves to traffic with the priest. For now no other god but money can he see. He nothing sees at all and cares not how he makes his bargain with them so he may have this wretched sum in ready pay. Matthew 26, 15 says, And Judas covenanted with them for 30 pieces of silver. Well, now here in this portion of John, where Jesus has 
finish this beautiful act of devotion and love toward his disciples. And then his soul is deeply troubled. Why is it troubled? It's because that love which he has expended upon Judas is going to be refused. Judas had been attracted to the glory. He had succumbed to greed. And Jesus still keeps appealing to him. Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Judas was seated at Jesus' left, reclining at his left, the position of honor. Jesus takes a morsel and dips it into the dish, which was an act of great honor, and gives it to Judas. And John tells us, and you always remember to look for the double meanings in John, John tells us that Judas immediately went out, and it was night. This is the night that knew no dawn for Judas. He went out into the night, and I suppose that when they saw him go out of the door into that cloak of darkness, into that night, that John could never get that scene out of his mind again. And all down through history, we think about that tragic figure who was so close to the Son of God who leaned at his bosom, who heard everything, and yet goes out into the darkness to betray him, who later will see him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays and come to him. And when Jesus asked him, friend, why are you here? He kisses Jesus lavishly on the face. And Jesus says, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And Judas did. The tragedy of it all is there, and John remembers it. It was night, the night that knew no dawn. No dawn, because Judas has become such a tragic figure to us all. That's the last part of his story, his guilt. After he realizes what he has done and Jesus has been scourged and beaten, you remember that he takes his paltry 30 pieces of silver back into the temple and flings them down at the feet of the high priest and says, I have, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they scoff at him and says, what, say, what does that matter to us? And then we are told that Judas went out and hanged himself. If you ever look at a Judas tree, you see that long, gaping, solitary limb pointing like a finger at the horror of it all. The other day I went up in an elevator to the 29th floor where I was staying, and I was looking at the lights as they came on going up the floor, and I noticed there was no 13th floor. It comes from this the story of the Last Supper, the story of the 13 counting Jesus, the story of Judas, the superstition that has arisen there. And Judas crowned it all by hanging himself. This self-murder has to be the grossest thing that he did. Because with Judas, there would have been forgiveness. He had heard all of the stories Jesus told. 
He knew how much Jesus loved. And Judas could have sought forgiveness. But instead, instead he hangs himself. He separates himself now from God. He separates himself from the love of Jesus. His soul was hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What are the lessons that this is meant to teach us? That sin separates us from our friends. Sin separates man from his true best self. Sin separates us from our peace of mind. And ultimately, sin separates us from God. Alexander White is one of my favorite preachers. He's been dead many years now. He was the principal of New College in Edinburgh. And once in a conversation with Joseph Parker and Spurgeon, the great preachers of their day, someone asked Alexander White this question, why did Jesus choose Judas to be his disciple? And Alexander White said, I don't know. I keep wondering why he ever chose me. That's the question. Lord, is it I? Said the disciples in a moment of startling honesty. We must search our own hearts and draw near to the love of Jesus and cling close to him and divest ourselves from anything that would pull us away from him. We sung that marvelous prayer a while ago. In the hour of trial, Jesus plead for me. The look that Jesus gave to Peter brought him back. And Judas could have been forgiven if he had gone to Jesus and sought that forgiveness. And the lesson to us all is to stay close to the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we will say with the old Negro spiritual that we don't want to be like Judas in our heart. We want to be Christians, and we want to love Jesus more. Help us to know that there is no glory save through that cross. Help us to know that our hearts being close to him will keep us from greed. Help us to know that our guilt and our sin are washed away by his blood and cause us to walk in the light as he is in the light, so that we may have fellowship one with another and know that that blood cleanses us from all sin. For any person here who has never known Christ as Savior, lead that person someplace, somewhere this day to yield his or her life to thee. For those of us who have professed a love for Jesus, make it more than religious emotion. Make it, O oh God, utter and complete dedication day after day, as long as life shall be in us, faithful and true to our Savior. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all, now and forevermore.